Morning. Everyone okay? I'm really excited to be here and really excited that um, everyone seems to be uh, speaking the same message. Seems like God's really trying to catch our attention um, around this idea of not missing the moment and around this idea of not getting familiar. All of that sort of stuff you'll see later as I get into my notes. Um, that uh, some of the stuff that's been shared this morning is uh, the same stuff that God's put on my heart. So it's amazing when that happens, that God uh, really want to, wants to speak to us. So last August, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my mum came to visit our family in London. And it's always special when family members come when you live far away. Um, and my mum is an amazing, amazing lady. One of the best people you'll ever meet. By far the kindest person I've ever met in my life. She's, she's incredible. Um, and she came. So, you know, we get on well. She gets on well with Jen. Um, and, and she loves the kids. So it, it really is amazing when they come over. And apart from the some random idea that grandparents think they can always bring the most amount of sugar that they've ever found to your children and think that that's okay. Grandparents... Can we tone it down on the sugar? In any case, she came. She came. She came with the sugar and the biscuits and the rusks and all the homemade stuff. And it was really, really amazing. Um, it got even better because when she told us she was coming um, to make sure that she's um, going to book her flight, I went and booked flights for Jennifer and myself for a few days to New York and said, now you really have to come because we need a babysitter and we're not going to leave our kids with just anyone. So it was, for all those reasons, it was really amazing that she came. But just this past week, um, as we were on um, our family holiday, I realized that there was another reason why this, why this was such a special visit. Um, she, brought, she brought this book. My mom brought this book as a gift. Um, you know, everyone says, do you have space in your bag? So, um, and people who've sent stuff with people know that you, you mustn't, send stuff that's too big. That's not okay. So someone sent this flat book. It's nice. Lee, my sister-in-law, my lovely sister-in-law. She's in the front row. Yeah, she's the one that's lovely. And so she sent this book, and I don't know, when you look at this book, I don't know about you, but it makes you feel happy straight away. The colors are good. It's eye-catching. It's called The Ugly Five. See, you're already like having a little chuckle at the Agri Five. What's that about? Everyone's intrigued. It's, it's lovely. Um, and if you've been with a small child in recent years, I'll, I'll, I'll show it one more time. If you've been with a small child in recent years, whether you're an auntie, an uncle, a parent, especially if you're a parent, a grandparent, you would recognize the illustration on the front cover really, really, really straight away. It's uh, another brilliant book by Julia Donaldson and Axel Scheffler, the creators of... The Gruffalo. And if you didn't know that, there's a sticker right over there. See, John, there's a sticker that says, by the creators of the Gruffalo. And that's for people who couldn't work things out by themselves. So the book is really, really amazing. I love it. It's brilliant. But it's what's written on the front page of this book. The, the, as you turn the cover, it's what's written on there that makes our copy completely different to any other copy that you can buy in, in the bookshelves. This is, this is amazing. I'm going to read it to you. It's this little bit. 
it's handwritten. It says August 2018. That's a year ago. It says, one day, we'll have to all go and see the Ugly Five together. We love you and miss you, Elizabeth and Nathan. Love Uncle Jono, Auntie Lee, Lily and Beth. It's what, sets, it's what sets this copy aside from any other copy. It, it's a dream. The copy had a dream in it. It still has the dream in it. It had this picture of something that could happen one day in the future. And just this past week, after our family felt God speak to us last year, <clears throat> around June, July, and then in August, we made a final decision to move here for a year, spend time with you guys at the Victory family. Um, Lee said, hey, why don't we go and make this dream a reality? She didn't use those words, but that's what she meant. She said, why don't we go to the Kruger? And we, we did. We, the rendezvous point was in the Kruger. And um, this dream came true. I kid you not. It surpassed every expectation we could have ever had. Um, I'm not even sure that I... I'm not sure what I was expecting entirely. I was expecting to obviously see animals going to the Kruger. So animals was on the radar. But I don't know exactly what I was going after. But everything was amazing. You know, um, Discovery uh, paid for our flights. That's what I believe, you know. They paid for our, you know, I went to the gym a lot, and then I got my points every week. And because I got my points and I boosted my flight, I didn't, we didn't pay for the flights. So in my books, that's a free flight, and that's cool. So our flights were free. We got there, we got the brand new Quantum. Not the old school smaller one, the big one with lots of space. So we got the upgrade straight away the moment we arrived. The 597,700 Rand vehicle. We looked it up, we were like, how much does this thing cost? And it's all luxury, it feels so nice, the seats are amazing, it's got aircon everywhere, it's got USB ports throughout the car, because you know, everybody needs to charge their million devices, because when we're not, when, when my little daughter, who's three, is like, no, I've seen, I've seen the lion, and right now Barbie is really important to me, when those moments happen, you need to have a USB port everywhere in the car. And we went up to see the blind, um, we saw all the potholes, we had an absolutely amazing, amazing time from the very first day. And then we got into the Kruger, and day one, we saw the big five. All of them. On the first day, we had nine more days to go. <laughs> it, it wasn't like it was, we were just like, what, what do you do with all of that? It was just, it was just too much. It was... Well, it wasn't. We wanted more. We got up at 4.30 the next morning and, the mor and every other morning so that we could be at the gate as early as we possibly could. And then we got in and we saw, we saw an elephant that was so small that my three-year-old could cuddle it. We saw all the pups and all the cubs and all the smallies and all the big ones and we saw them eating and we saw them pooping. We saw a cheetah with a kill. We were, we were singing songs every day. We were going, cheetah on the chase, 
cheetah on the chase. And we drove into a moment where a cheetah was chasing this teeny tiny little daker. And it had to stop next to Jono's door. Imagine a full-paced cheetah trying to stop because there's a 600,000 rand car in between it and the buck. It was like... And Jono went, cheetah, 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 cheetah! There was a cheetah right there. And on the last day, there was one thing that we hadn't seen. It was wild dog. We'd seen a hina. And it was amazing. And we were driving, and we had a few minutes left inside of the park. And there's only 300 and odd. There's 160 odd thousand impalas, also known to our family as palapalas, because my daughter just calls them palapalas. Palapala, palapala. And so we saw all of, I think, the 160,000 impalas, but we couldn't find any of the 300 wild dog. And then on the last day, wild dogs. They, they are known to just be on the move. You don't get messages of sta stationary lion, stationary this, stationary that. Yes, no stationary wild dog. On the last day, 13 stationary wild dog. How, how, cra how crazy is that? We got everything. And do you know why? We got it because just a while ago, just 12 months ago, someone said, hey, let's go do this one day. You see what happens when we have a little dream, and then beyond the little dream, we do the other stuff. We make the effort, we do the research, we pay the money, we choose to use our leave. So there's some sacrifice involved, and then we go after it. Do you see what happens? It is amazing. It is truly amazing. I've got one word for our trip, unforgettable. Unforgettable. I wanted to shake my kids and say, do you know what is happening? Do you know how few people in the world get to do this? It is, it is just remarkable. And as I was reflecting on all of our experiences and just praying over it and stuff on our last little bit of the drive, the beautiful scenic drive into Gauteng, where it's flat and brown, I was just reflecting, and I felt the Lord just nudge me and say, do you see how I've just spoiled your family? Do you see how kind I am and how I've treated you? Do you see how much I'll go with you when you go after your dreams? And then I felt him say this, now imagine what I'll do if you guys as a church family take my promises in the Bible seriously. Imagine if you guys run after the promises in the Bible in the same way you guys ran after those animals. Imagine if you got up at 4.30 in the morning. Imagine what I'll do. Imagine if you want to be the first one at the gate. Imagine what I'll do. Can you as a church family dream together and think if you could make some sacrifices and give some money. Imagine what I'll do. It's amazing. If you run after it with the same passion and determination, can you imagine what our homes will look like? Can you imagine what God will do at your place of work? Can you imagine what God will do with your friend that you've been praying for for donkey's years? Can you imagine 
how God wants to break in and bring healing and deliverance and set people free. Can you imagine? We're wrapping up our seven weeks of lessons from the Gospel of Mark um, today. And I want to tell you that I feel like that nudge couldn't have come at a better time. Here's why. We, we live in a high-paced world, don't we? We've got to do things quickly. You've got to post your stuff on your Instagram quickly. Otherwise, someone else posts that picture of the elephant. And then they get all the likes. Thank you, Emma-Jane. And alongside that, we've been spending the last seven weeks in the most high-paced and intense gospel of them all, one in which the author's favorite word, and if you can remember from week one, is euthaios, which means immediately. When he uses the word immediately 42 times, he's got some business to do. So we're, we're going quite fast. We're in a fast-paced world. We're reading a fast-paced gospel, and if we're not careful, we could easily find ourselves having ticked off the boxes, and we want to move on to the next big shiny thing, because I'm sure Jono and the elders have planned some lovely next series for us, haven't they? We can say, oh, we spoke about healing that one week. We've done it. We prayed. We were all up front here. We prayed. We saw some stuff happen. That's cool. Tick. Then the other guy spoke about faith. That was cool. Against all the odds, we, we will have faith, and yeah. I had some odds, I had some faith, tick, that's all done. And we move along because there's a nice, new, bright, and shiny thing waiting for us because that's what our lives are like. There's always a newer, more shiny, more bright thing somewhere else waiting for us when actually the truth of the matter is that the adventure has just begun. The adventure has just begun. And this morning we're in the final chapter of Mark. And just like the rest of the book, Mark lands this gospel with one final punch of intensity, and it's entirely designed to catapult us, to sort of nudge us into the story of Jesus. If you read along with us in the series plan that we um, set out at the start of the series, or if you've just been delving into Mark for yourself, or you've read it in the past, you'll definitely have noticed one thing when you get to chapter 16, and that is that there's three possible endings. You don't need to have a theologian to tell you that. It's clearly marked. It says first ending, shorter ending, extended or longer ending, depending on your... So there's one, two, there's three endings. That can be confusing. It can also be distracting if you're not careful. So I just want to spend one minute talking about that for a second. The shortest explanation I have, if this will help you in any way, is among all the debate of who authored the two longer endings, pretty much all the trusted scholars and historians all agree on this one thing. It's all Scripture. They all agree that it's all Scripture and it's all Bible. And if it's Scripture, then according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture, all of it, the stuff that is recognized as Scripture, all of it is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for you and me, for a proof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man and the woman of God may be completely equipped for every good work. 
So no matter where you've landed at the end of Mark, as you've read it, or as we'll read a little bit of it later on, it's all profitable. And if it's profitable, and if it's God-breathed, then I want to suggest to us this morning that it's totally worth getting to grips with the, promise, the promises and the lessons that God has for us in these final verses as we wrap it up. You agree? It's totally worth us getting to grips. So we're going to read Mark 16, verse 9 to 20 together. Let me just speak about the first few verses just briefly. Jesus had been beaten to within an inch of his life. Chunks of flesh was ripped out of his body. He could hardly walk. Someone else had to carry the cross that he was going to be nailed to. Blood was flowing out of his wounds. He had a crown of thorns forced into his skull. It wasn't a good day for Jesus. He had large nails hammered through his hands and feet. He died in one of the most cruel and humiliating ways anyone could ever die. And a hardened Roman soldier, who the Bible says was facing him as all of this was happening, just like he faced execution after execution after execution, said these words about Jesus. So he stood there watching countless people being nailed to crosses and dying in the same way. He looked at Jesus and said, Surely, this man is the Son of God. He knew that there was something different. Three women was also in the crowd. They were watching this themselves. A lady called Mary Magdalene, another Mary, and Salome. They watched not only the execution, but they stayed because of love in their hearts. Because of compassion, they stayed. They wanted to see where his body was taken to be buried. And they wanted to be the first people to be there. So they went to buy spices so they could anoint his decaying corpse. They were expecting his body to start smelling just like any other human body. So they went to get spices. And their deep love and affection for Jesus compelled them to be at the tomb the moment the sun came up that Sunday morning. Anybody who's ever been in love knows this. You don't want to be late for that first date. And when your heart's racing, you want to make sure that you're there. You want to be there early. These women, because of their deep love and affection for Jesus, had their spices ready. They wanted to be the first ones there. They, wanted to, they were determined. I bet you they got up earlier than 4.30. They were saying, nobody else is going to beat us to the grave. We are going in there, and we are going to go and anoint his body. Along the way, they're talking to each other, and they're saying, oh my goodness, we saw where they put his body. Did you see the size of the stone in front of the grave? And they were like, how on earth are we going to move that stone? But you know, they didn't stop. They didn't say, oh, let's just pack it in. Their love compelled them. They were like, well, I don't know how we're going to move. Salome, have you got a plan? No. Mary Magdalene? No, no, no. None of us have a plan. We've just got these spices. We're hoping that the spices 
will have some sort of an effect and roll the stone away. We, we, we actually, we don't know what we're going to do when we get there. But in the meantime, let's walk there because we want to be there first. This is our Messiah. We want to get in first. And as they arrived, they get the news that they've wasted their money. You should have never gone and bought those spices, ladies. Because the guy you've come to find, the angel says to them, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who died, the one who was crushed and beaten and humiliated and spat at and laughed at by the crowds, the one who bled, the one who had the nails, the one who was in really, really bad shape, that one who, who really did die, Everybody there who knew about death confirmed he was dead. That one, the one you've come to look for, he isn't here. He's alive. It's different to every other grave you'll ever visit in your life. Have you, let me see your hands. Who's been to graves? Who's been to a gravestone? Here lies so-and-so. They were an amazing father, an amazing mother. There's a message there. Here the, they are here. Here lies so-and-so. They did military service, and they're an amazing person. Here lies so-and-so. Jesus is completely different. You get to the grave. They've got their spices. They want to do their thing. They're thinking, where can we find some really strong people to move the stone away? They get there. The stone is already moved away because his grave looks completely different. He is no longer there. Hallelujah. He's risen. Just like he promised, he came back to life. Just as he said he would. The angel is passing on the message. Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified and died and then buried here, he is risen from the dead. Look at his grave clothes. Look at the grave clothes. They're lying there. That's where he was. He's no longer here. Now go and tell the other disciples. And then he says these words, and we must pay attention to this. He says, go and tell the disciples and make sure you include Peter. Let them know this risen Jesus has gone ahead of you to Galilee, just like he promised in Mark 14, 28. Do you know the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out? Do you know that? The stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. When Jesus came back to life, he had his resurrection body. You read John 20, you see there's a party, there's people gathering, and they've locked the door because they're scared of the crowds, John 20 says, and suddenly Jesus is with them in the room. His resurrection body has the ability to move through walls. He didn't need the stone to be rolled away for him to get out. He got out without the stone rolled away. The stone was rolled away not for Jesus to get out. The stone was rolled away so the ladies and everybody else who came to see could get in to notice for themselves that he was no longer there. That's why the stone was rolled away. So we pick up the story in Mark 16 verse 9, and we'll read it to the end. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast seven demons. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? 
Isn't he amazing? She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they didn't believe her. We are kind, aren't we? Jesus told them he was going to die. He told them, they, these are the guys who are with him. He told them he was going to die. He told them he was going to come back to life. He told them he was going to meet them. There was a rendezvous point in Galilee, the same place where he initially called them. You'll remember from the first week when I spoke about this as disciples. So they knew all of this. But hey, there was a lady who was a bit different, wasn't she? She had seven demons and therefore could not be trusted. Even though Jesus had cast the seven demons out of her and she was now okay, they couldn't trust her. They were too sad, too weepy, and clearly too grumpy. Afterwards, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back. They had a, a message that compelled them. They rushed back to tell others, but no one believed them. What are we even like? No one believed them. So the, the lady comes, and she's got a message. Two others come. They've got a message. They've got all the information that this is supposed to be happening. And still, they really act like they're dumb. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. And then this happens. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he'd been raised from the dead. And he told them this. Go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak new languages. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they'll be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples then went everywhere and preached. And surprise, surprise, the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Even when you read these verses... These ones that are considered the longer ending of Mark, and especially when you compare them to the other Gospels, it just, it all lacks detail. It's, it's pretty abrupt, and it feels unfinished, I guess, is the right word. And that's exactly what you and I are meant to be left with when we get to the end of Mark. We are meant to be left with this feeling of, I've read it all. I've seen demons cast out. I've seen healing after healing after healing. I've learned about faith. I've understood about counting the cost when I saw about the rich young ruler. And now we've landed in this place. And Mark, couldn't you have just slowed it down and given us a bit more detail? Why did it have to be so abrupt? Why does it have to feel so unfinished? It's because that's what it is. It's an unfinished story. This ending 
is an invitation to you and me. It's an invitation to step into the story and to be part of God's glorious plan to share the amazing news of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who has risen from the dead. The story is unfinished because you and I are invited to keep writing the story. Isn't that amazing? One person thinks it's amazing. I love that the person he chose to reveal himself to first was a woman. I love that by itself, that was one of the most countercultural things he could have done at the time. But he paints the full picture of restoration and the restoration power of the resurrection in that very moment. Because it's the woman from whom he happened to cast seven demons. Isn't it amazing? I love that the ladies are told by the angel to go and tell the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead, and they are told to make sure that Peter gets the message. Peter, one of the early disciples, who ends up spending so much time with Jesus, and then when the heat is on, he denies him three times. Jesus says, don't just tell the other disciples. He says, tell that guy. Tell that guy. Tell the guy who ruined it all. Tell the guy who was close to me, but when the heat was on, was the biggest coward around. Tell him. Tell him that I'm alive, just like I said I would, and tell him to make sure he hurries along so that he can come and meet me. Peter is one of the first guys to experience grace, hope, and the power of restoration because of the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so much more amazing than leopards? Not only that, Peter goes on to be a front runner helping kickstart the New Testament church as you and I know it today. Isn't that mind-blowing? The guy who denies him ends up being one of the front-runners in this whole movement. It's amazing. The message to you and me this morning really is very, very simple. Step into the story and be part of a team of people, a movement of people who see other people's lives transformed because God wants to allow His power to be at work through us. That's the message. It's an unfinished story, and we're invited to step in and be a part of what it looks like to finish. It's incredible. I'm going to take one more step back into Mark. And then we'll wrap it up and pray. In Mark 5, there's this story of a demon-possessed man who lived among the tombs. He was in awful shape, really. He was shouting all the time. The description says it was so bad he would scare anyone who came near him. The Bible says he used sharp rocks to cut himself. And even though many people tried to help him in some small way, when I say some small way, they were trying to bind him up with cuffs and stuff so that he couldn't 
hurt himself or, or do the stuff he was doing to himself or scare others in the way that he was. But he broke even the metal chains. No one could subdue him until Jesus arrived. Until Jesus walked into his moment and everything changed. And that's amazing. When Jesus arrived, transformation power arrived. And this guy, everything about him changed in that moment. Jesus cast an entire legion. I don't know how many is in a legion. It's a lot. But an entire legion of demons out of the man. And in an instant, like that, everything changed for this guy. Everything changed for the people who walked past him every day. It says the people around ran to the countryside and from town to town to report what happened. And many came back to see. And this is what they saw. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Isn't it amazing? This guy's freaking out. He's cutting himself with, ro himself with rocks. He stinks. He wears horrible grave clothes. Nobody wants to be near him. Everybody is scared of him every single time they walk past. They're scared. They're petrified of this guy. And then Jesus walks in, changes everything. People come back, and they're scared. But they're scared for a completely different reason. They've seen a completely different authority. They've seen a completely different power at work. A man who was out of his mind because of a hold of a legion of demons is now fully, 100% in his right mind. A man out of control, self-harming, and scaring the living daylights out of anyone around him is now totally calm and totally at peace, sitting at the feet of Jesus. A man who walked around in filthy, ripped-apart, odor-carrying grave clothes has thrown them off. He's now properly dressed. He smells good. And he is fully restored. Victory family, as we're invited to step into the story, this same power and this same authority is available to you and to me. And when Lee said we mustn't get familiar, we mustn't be too busy with Barbie to notice the lion because we've already seen one. Let's not get familiar. Let's keep encouraging each other not to get familiar. Mark 16 says, yes, you've already seen healing after healing after healing and demons being cast out and a guy going down the roof because his friends had faith and a woman pushing through a crowd because she had an issue for 12 years. You've seen 
one thing after the next. You've seen faith at work. You've seen it all, but don't you dare get familiar. It's a whole full circle, isn't it? In the first chapter, he calls disciples and says, this is for anyone, especially those whose society said aren't good enough. He says, I say you're good enough. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then right at the end, he says, hey, guys, this is an unfinished story, and I'm inviting you in. And I'm saying this same power that restored this man, this demon-possessed man who had a whole legion of demons, this same power is available to you. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to go sit at the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So that you don't have to worry about this ge geographical thing of, about running after Jesus. The Holy Spirit is available to you, giving you the power, giving you the authority. Now go out and help finish the story. Our call is to do great things in His name. Mary said a few weeks ago, you know, he's seen some healings and he doesn't know why. Sometimes we don't see more of it. I feel the same. But we heard some testimonies this morning that are pretty amazing. So God's clearly still doing some stuff. It's our, it's our job to run after it. It's our privilege to run after it. The question just is, how will we respond? You know, when we felt God speak to us about coming to Cape Town for 2019, and Lee asked us, hey, shall we go and do this thing? Shall we go and have fun in the Kruger? In that moment, we had a decision to make. It was going to cost money. It was going to cost time. And she didn't say, and by the way, I guarantee you will see the big five on day one. There were no guarantees. She didn't say, oh, by the way, we're going to get up at 4.30 every morning. And you know what? It's not going to interfere with our kids. They're going to be lovely for the entire 10 days. No one's going to lose their mind in the car. There were no guarantees. They were, we didn't even know we were all going to be in one car. I mean, if, had we known, we may have said no. But you know what the great thing is? I didn't say that at the start. The kids didn't lose their minds. They were, well, they were a little bit niggly, but they, no one freaked out. But none of those things were in the, in the guarantee. It was just, would you like to go to the Kruger? This is how many thousands it will cost. We said yes. And we got an unforgettable adventure. The invitation here at the end of Mark is into an adventure that is far greater than what Lee could ever promise you. Seriously. <laughs> it's into a, an adventure that will blow our minds. It's not just an adventure. It's the greatest privilege any human being could ever be afforded. That Jesus Christ of Nazareth the one who was dead and in that grave, who didn't need the stone to be rolled away, but rolled it away so that others can go and see that he wasn't there, who came back to life, that guy invites you and me to be part of the story. It's unbelievable. And we shouldn't say no. The answer should be yes. And 
the reality is, it feels scary. It feels more scary than saying, yes, I'm going to go have fun with my family in the Kruger. It feels scary. But we can't let what we're afraid of stop us from doing what we were made for. If you're trying to figure out what is my purpose, this is it. Your purpose is loving Jesus like those ladies did. Run after him with the spices and then step into the story and be part of the mission. That's what it's about. I'd like us to pray. So I want to ask the band if they want to come. If you don't mind, please. And I want to ask us, let's have a quiet moment. Let's bow our heads, please, if you don't mind. Don't worry about Tanya. She'll get on the stage. Let us focus on this last little bit together. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to say to you that this call... This invitation, it includes you. Jesus deliberately included Mary and Peter to make it clear that the gospel is for anyone. The gospel is for anyone. No one here has denied Jesus. So I don't think we're that bad. This gospel is for anyone. If you want someone to pray with you at the end, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, and to step into the story. I'd love to pray with you. I'm sure there's some other connect group leaders that will come and pray with us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, I want to encourage you. Just take a moment to reflect on the invitation. Take a moment and say, I do not want to be familiar with this. Mark 16 ends abruptly. And it ends abruptly because it's meant to be unfinished. It's meant to say to me, run after me with the spices. And when you do, I'll take you on the greatest adventure of your life. I'll give you power beyond what you could ever imagine. And just like the other disciples did, you will speak and the signs will follow. You don't have to run after the signs. You don't have to run after the miracles. Tell people I love them, and I'll confirm the love with miracles. Don't make, don't make the mistake of trying to run after a miracle. You preach, you share, the miracles will run, will run after you. That's the promise of Mark 16. You may even want to take some communion and, and pray in that way, or pray with someone, so please do it. I'll just pray and wrap up the series. Lord, we love the Gospels. Lord, we love that we got these lessons from Mark over these weeks. And we want to we wanna listen to Lee when she encouraged us this morning. We don't want to be too busy with something else. That we miss the amazing animal. We miss the amazing glory. We miss the amazing provision. Help us, God. Would you help us to, in a fresh way, be in awe of all the glory 
and the majesty and the wonder that's just outside of our window. Thank you for finishing this specific gospel in this specific way. You've made it so clear to us. We're invited to step into the unfinished story. We're asking you in this moment, would you equip us afresh? Would you fill us afresh with your spirit and your power? Help us to dream fresh dreams for where we work or for what things look like in our home or for what things could be like in this valley. What things could be like in this city, Lord. What things could be like in this nation. We trust you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.